Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm Sarah Carradine, podcasting from unceded Gadigal land. I'm Mari Forth. And this is Crime Scene, the true crime review podcast where we get to the heart of how true crime stories are told. Subscribe to our feed at robhasawebsite.com slash crime feed to get your true crime on Tuesdays. We also drop on the main feed on Wednesdays. Sarah, what are we talking about today? Oh, let's open today's file. We watched Undercurrent, The Disappearance of Kim Val on HBO Max in the US and on Binge in Australia. But we can't dive down into these murky waters without our special guest, true crime author of Notes on a Killing, among others, host of the podcast Crime Writers On, among others. She's bringing her top-notch hair game to crime scene. It's only one of my podcast heroes, the incredible Rebecca Lavoie. Hello. Hello. Thank you for noticing the hair. I did a special for you today. <laughs> well, it's 6.30 in the morning and I put on mascara for you. So <laughs> I didn't really do it special for you. It's like literally my bed. <laughs> so welcome to RHAP to the network Mm -hmm. and to crime scene. Some of our listeners have told us that they were not true crime fans, but they Mm -hmm. have come come for us, stayed for the 
for the true crime. So they may not know you, Rebecca. So I just wanted to ask you, first of all, how you started in true crime and particularly writing with Kevin Flynn on the the books that you do and uh, podcasting with him on the podcasts. Yeah, so I really started in true crime while writing with Kevin. So we met in 2007, believe it or not. Um, I was blogging about a presidential debate in New Hampshire, and he was television reporter, and that's how we met. And he was writing a true crime book at the time about a female serial killer here in New Hampshire. And we became friends, and he asked me to read some of his chapters, and they needed help. And I helped him with his chapters. And then um, <laughs> that's how we ended up becoming really close and forming our relationship. And then we ended up pitching a story to a magazine together that was a true crime story, and the magazine bought it. And, you know, over time we became involved in blah, 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 blah. We ended up writing a few true crime books together. I ended up working in media, got a job in public radio. A few years later, the podcast Criminal came out, which was a public radio show. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I was like, wait a minute, my true crime writing life and my like public radio life, there is space for both of those things. Like those because the two had never collided before. And I said to Kevin, like, we have to get on that show, Criminal. Like, we do. We just have to get on. And we did. I pitched them. We ended up getting on, like, episode 10 or 11. And that was the first time it really occurred to me that we could mash up those two things. And then when Serial came out, I was trying to get Kevin to listen to it. He didn't listen to it until way later than he should have. And then he had the idea that we should do a podcast about Serial, you know, as journalists, like, kind of taking apart whether or not it was working, talking about the journalism, talking about the case. And that's how Crime Writers On was born. So that was in like 2014. And we've been making that show ever since then. I I think this is, for what's evident to me, this is going to be an episode of me trying to not ask you so many side questions because <laughs> there are so many things in there. I was like, oh, who's the female serial killer? What was your what your first book about? Like, I just like, it's okay. that, that's what I'm going to try and not do. But I, I love that thought process because I think serial for me was my first true crime podcast as well. I didn't, you know, I, I mean, everybody's probably because that didn't seem like that was a medium that was so up and coming that you didn't think automatically think true crime and podcasting and me and Sarah here, we, we, you know, purpose, pur- purposefully say like, we're a true crime podcast, but we review the shows, like, mm-hmm. just like you guys review, yep. like the journalism part. We review the shows, come at it from a, a point of view of how it works, the production, the victim, how the vint- victim is portrayed and all of that. Because, you know, we're not journalists. We can't, we don't, we don't do what you and Kevin do, but we have watched a lot of TV. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> That is our our unique <laughs> perspective. So it's so I'm like so excited to have you on. Like you're you're from the trenches, and and I feel like I'm going to get a lesson today. So oh, I'll just I, be I sitting here listening. Listen, you're as qualified as I am as a consumer of the media. I mean, you like what you like. You get mm-hmm. what you get. As long as you aren't super into things that suck and that are irresponsible, <laughs> you are just as qualified as I am to do a show like this as I am to do mine. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I, I, I wonder, Murray, when we've ever avoided side questions. That could be the subtitle. I feel of, like this uh, could be a whole though. <laughs> well, okay, I'll answer one of them. Uh, the serial killer was Sheila Labar, and it's a banana story. Kevin wrote a book about it, um, oh, wow. and uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's called Wicked Intentions. But the story is 
the story is bananas. Uh, she's a bananas person. And she and Kevin started a correspondence when she was in jail. And that's what the episode of Criminal was about. It was called Dear Sheila. And it's kind of a dramatized. If you listen to Criminal, it's going to make Heaven sound like a real sad sack. We sort of pitched it that way. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's a super fascinating story. And she uh, burned and dismembered all of her victims. So it was a good time. Wow. Yeah. A lot of not, not for them, not for not for not really a good time, but an interesting story to tell, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to do a lot of side Googling. So if you hear if you hear the <laughs> the, the keyboard going, that's just me. Don't worry. Yeah. That's right. so interesting. Was, talking about uh, dismembering, shall we get to this? This Great segue. Yeah. Did you like it? <laughs> so Undercurrent is a two-part documentary. It's produced and directed by Erin Lee Carr. Uh, and she has an extensive career in true crime storytelling. Uh, you may know some of her previous works. You listeners, you my fellow panellists, Brittany versus Spears, I Love You, Now Die, Ooh. At the Heart of Gold, uh, Mommy Dead and Dearest, How to Fix a Drug Scandal, and Thought Crimes, The Case of the Cannibal Cop. Uh, she's currently working on the... Um, Murdoch Murders Project, untitled as yet. And Mari, Rebecca, what do you know of her previous work? What's your Erin Lee Carr story? Well, I know Erin a little bit. I've interviewed her a couple of times. I host a podcast for Netflix called You Can't Make This Up, where I interview directors. And I actually love her body of work. Um, the Britney uh-huh. documentary uh, is so different than uh, I Love You Now Die, which is so different than this. Of course, I first became familiar with her with Mommy Dead and Dearest, which is a crazy story. That's so the story good. about Gypsy Rose, um, the mother who basically faked her daughter's like extremely serious bouts of illness forever and like it was this huge con slash uh, Munchausen by proxy story but mm-hmm. what I love about Erin is every one of her projects is so different like you can't even tell they're made by the same person and that is really uh, remarkably unusual and um, so she doesn't really have a signature except for the fact that she always chooses really interesting projects and this is one of them so this makes a whole lot of sense I did not look at the director prior because I knew you would have all that information. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when I tell you I, I love you now die mommy dead and dearest are so good and then when you throw in how to fix a drug scandal like as a medical technologist and laboratory personnel or laboratory personnel how to fix a drug scandal was so good like yes. I watched it and I was like telling everybody I knew like all the people in the lab that I work with like you guys have to watch how to fix a drug scandal because how did they get away with this <laughs> for so long you know so this makes a lot of sense uh as it, spoiler alert I enjoyed this uh two-part documentary so that makes a lot of sense as to um because her former body of work is great. Yeah, I, I, how to fix a drug scandal, I think is is one is in my pantheon. Uh, I went back because uh, we were going to to discuss this today, and I thought I'll just go back to the Cannibal Cop, and it's an early work, but it's it's very good. Yes. And I thought I reckon that music sounds very familiar, and I looked, and she always works with Ian Hultqvist who also does the music on this, and I think that is one thread you can see going through. And she also consistently works with other uh, behind-the-camera uh, personnel, and I think for directors, when you see them consistently working with the same people or put it the other way, 
the same people consistently working with the director. I think that that speaks very highly of the quality of the work, the atmosphere of the of the production, and how people feel that they've contributed. Yeah. Uh, I, I come from a, a, a theatre background, so yeah. And the quality of the person, right? Because no one yes. wants to work with a jerk again and again and again. <laughs> and, and you probably know that Aaron's dad was a famous journalist for the New York Times, David Carr. Um, very highly regarded journalist uh, for the New York Times. And she really takes that that legacy very seriously. Like she's not mm. like child of privilege. I mean, she knows she's a child of privilege, like she had a leg up, but she also takes his legacy very seriously. Like, I don't want to like, you know, I, I want to do this well, but I, mm-hmm. but, but also she, she wants, she also really wants to carve her own path. Like she's very, she, she's unapologetic. What I love about her, she's unapologetically a true crime fan. I hate it when journalists, like one of my cringiest things about Serial is when Sarah Canning is like, I'm not a true crime reporter, but which is not true. Mm-hmm. Sarah Canning had done like four true crime stories before she did Serial. Like Erin um, Lee Carr is like, I love crime. I love telling crime stories. I just want to do them super well. And I love that about her. Great well, point. let's let's go to the crime for the for, for people who don't know or a refresher for people who do. So Kim Val was a Swedish freelance journalist. On the 10th of August 2017, she boarded the midget sub Nautilus, made by Danish inventor and entrepreneur Peter Madsen, to interview him and to cruise in Kirker Bay by Copenhagen. Uh, the Nautilus failed to return to harbour and it was found the next morning sinking. Peter Madsen was pulled from the water, but there was no sign of Kim Val. Uh, he was immediately arrested. He told the police that he had put her ashore the evening before, but CCTV showed that he had not. The submarine was lifted from the seabed and found to be a crime scene. When he heard the sub had been lifted, Madsen then claimed that Val had hit her head on the hatch and died and that he had buried her at sea. Between 21st of August and 29th of November, parts of Kim Val's body were found. When her head was found without a fracture, Madsen then claimed she had died in the sub of carbon monoxide poisoning. He was convicted of Kim Val's murder, indecent handling of a corpse and sexual assault and sentenced to life in prison. Kim Val was 30. Her parents, Ingrid and Joachim, and her brother Tom founded the Kim Val Memorial Fund aimed at supporting women journalists. So what was your knowledge of the case? I, I mean, I'll start. I was obsessed with this case. Uh, not, I was not alone. Um, my heritage is Danish, so already that's a sort of spark for me. But the idea of boarding, like a lot of the, the media said homemade sub, I think what we <laughs> need to say is privately owned or privately made. I mean, mm-hmm. he was uh, he, he didn't just put it together out of a, a, a box and a, and a string. Um, <laughs> but the, the peril that that, that that conjured in my mind, the idea of a homemade yeah. sub and setting off to sea was already like so strange and then the changing story and the horror i can't put it another way of the idea of of this young woman uh, being trapped in this situation murray what mm. did you know contemporaneously about about the case uh, yeah i actually i did know about the case um mostly through uh, my uh true crime podcasting heroes uh my favorite murder i i when they covered it like right around the time it had happened and th- i i think i only stuck with it for a few weeks and then 
really forgot about it. So when they went into the second part of the documentary, the punishment, I actually didn't know, you know, how it was going to end up. Like I, I, I followed the news when they were like, she went, she disappeared. Then the slowly changing of the stories. And by the time they got him and it was his trial, I was like, okay, they got him in his trial. I didn't, I didn't know anything else about it. I didn't, I didn't know about, you know, the stuff that they found on his computer. So I love that. I, I had a base knowledge of the crime, but, um, that the documentary actually told me a lot of stuff I didn't know. So this was, it was perfect for me. And Rebecca, you were well in your uh, true crime uh, career at the time. What was, how did you, how did it come across your radar? I remember it in the news. And I remember when I first heard the story that she was missing, um, you know, that, that, that she was, had gone on the sub and that he came back without her thinking like, this is like every Scandi Noir show. This is like a mm-hmm. season of the bridge or it's like something that you could see in a Scandi Noir. I'm a huge fan of, of Scandi Noir shows. And I also immediately knew that something bad had happened, yeah. right? Cause <laughs> it's, I mean, it's, it's, and I don't mean, I don't want to be like one of those alarmist weirdos, but like, it was very clear through, through, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the way it was being reported and sort of. It was just very clear that, that that something bad had happened. But then, of course, uh, after years later, of course, then HBO did that dramatized version of it, the investigation, uh, which we watched very shortly mm-hmm. before watching this documentary, which was very different than this documentary and showed a very different angle to the case, which I think is super interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I sort of followed it rudimentarily, um, was not aware of as many of the details as Aaron Lee Carr lays out in, in this in this show. Rebecca, really quickly, can you explain the difference between the HBO reenacted one and this one? Yeah, it could not be more different. Um, the investigation yeah. is incredibly sober um, and they actually take it's, it's it's very, very good. First of all, it's very slow. If you don't like <laughs> things that are slow, you would not like it. I do like things that are slow if they're good. It is it basically takes the angle of it never uses his name, which is very interesting. They never use uh-huh. his name at all. And it's all about finding her body which they don't cover at all, uh, hardly at all in this documentary. Mm-hmm. Her body, her body parts were almost impossible to find. And it was a right. series of like weeks and weeks and weeks of them cruising back and forth on a ship with a dog with his nose in the air and them using all this weird science to try to figure out the currents and so forth to, to find her body because they couldn't prosecute him without her body even though he basically admitted in his story, he was lying and his story kept changing. And it was sort of about the frustrations of not being able to really like proceed with the prosecution, even though the police knew he had done something really bad without being able to find her body. That's kind of what it was about. So it basically like these two things together tell a complete story um, because Aaron's documentary, like nothing from the investigation pretty much is, is in her documentary and vice versa. Yes, as I'm uh, going to put that in the show notes. I give that a, a pure five stars, the investigation. I like it slow. Uh, I love seeing the Danish interiors that people actually yep. live in, not the magazine Danish interiors. Yes. Uh, oh. The greyness, the sea. What I think for me that the investigations really gets is the grit of police work. Mm-hmm. If we can say that some police are good um the daily grind of these divers and the tiredness in their faces you really appreciate the divers going down and down and down day after day after day and finding nothing uh and meanwhile the on the land investigation goes on really slowly and this idea that the and it's uh, Aaron Lee Carr's documentary also says this the 
accused can lie in court and can lie as often as they like and can change their story as often as they like and that that's legal. So there's a very slippery, and I think we do get that that uh, sense in in the in the property we're talking about today, undercurrent, that mm-hmm. sense of if you don't know how the murder was committed, you can't uh, arrest and convict this man. Well, you can arrest them, you can't convict them, mm-hmm. and that his ability to weave a story, which we feel very strongly from his biographer, is at once opening and hampering the investigation. But, yeah, those dogs were amazing. They had uh, the dogs, Murray, I think you'd like them, mm-hmm. on the boat, their noses in the air. Yeah, that and does sound cool. It yeah, I think you'd like yeah. it from the, proce- the, from the process side of it. Yes, mm-hmm. and, of course, our, our friend who played Torben Fries from Borgen was a cop, which I loved. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's so weary. He's so great. He's so weary. I just uh, I thought that was terrific. Uh, so... To this, to this property, how do you feel about the presentation of the victim? If we could talk about Kim Val, and we see many of her friends, we see other journalists, journalists' friends, and in particular Trina, Trina Ilso, who is a legal correspondent at the Danish Broadcasting Corporation, um, who. What a beat she has. What an interesting talking head she has. But what do we think about the presentation uh, of the victim, particularly in this first part of crime? I think this probably does one of the best jobs of telling a victim story of anything I've seen in recent years. It yep. doesn't do that. She lit up a room. BS thing <laughs> that we see over and over and over again, where it's just like she was perfect, she was wonderful, everyone loved mm-hmm. her. Very substantive presentation of Kim and especially of her work, which mm-hmm. I had no appreciation of. It showed all of the outlets she worked for, it showed the kind of work she did, it showed her ambition, and it was unapologetic about showing all that stuff. And I really, really think that um, sort of all the testimony, all the the two ways about her. And really showing uh, instead of just talking uh, about who she was as a person, I, I really felt like the loss way more than I usually do. I very often feel that um, uh, documentaries like this go overboard in victim service is what I call it, where they're like, mm. if we don't talk about the victim all the time, we're going to get complaints. Because to be honest, like these stories very often don't start with the victim. They start with the crime, right? Um, but right. this one did a wonderful job of telling us why the victim story was important, an important aspect of the crime, because she wouldn't have been on that submarine if she weren't a great journalist. I completely agree. I, As I was watching it, I literally turned to James, my husband, I was like, this is probably the best, the best portrayal of a victim that I've seen in any of the properties we've talked about so far. It, same thing, like I was hooked. It, it made me, I was like, do I want to be a journalist? No, I don't. (laughs) But I, I sure did send it to my little sister who went to school for journalism because her, her story just by itself was very, very inspiring. Like, truly truly inspiring the way that they presented it and just the the very um like bold and brash and and also like a woman like walking spaces maybe taking up spaces that she normally necessarily wouldn't be like I really liked it and her friend uh Assyria Coomer the college friend where they went to uh, Delhi together I thought she was amazing in this um really giving us a a inside into 
who Kim was. I thought every time she spoke and how she said like Kim would be mad about how some of these, these journalisms are co- journalists are covering this murder. Like I just, I, every time she came on, I was like, please tell me more <laughs> because I, I really liked how she connected what could possibly be Kim's point of view of all this. So I, I truly did like that aspect. And I like that the first, um, definitely the first episode, uh, the, like a huge chunk was dedicated to Kim, but they also kept it as a through line and even ended with her story and her inspiration and how her, her um, family wants to keep on her memory. I love that they ended with her too. Cause I think sometimes properties can forget about that as well. And they just kind of like end on the, the verdict in a sense. So I, I thought it was a great, great through line for um, how they presented Kim Ball. Yes, it's it's very much doesn't do the triumph of the, you know, the sentencing. Just mm-hmm. the Dr. Bench just gives you the sentencing and then we return to Kim. And I, I like that uh, very much myself. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's a big week when RHAP is on the road in Chicago. Check out my live show from Chicago. That's going to be up on Thursday, Wednesday night. Shannon Gus is going to be live with you with Kelly Wentworth after Survivor. And we preview the Dondi finale with Dealer No Deal Island host Joe Manganello. all right here on RHAP. We know reality TV. What am I? favorite uh, talking heads was Dita, Dita, oh, the submariner. Yes. <laughs> greatest, greatest character in any true crime thing I have seen in forever. No. Amazing. Every time. I, I, we, we've established, we love like that product, like the, the pure fact-based evidence and oh, she delivered it every time, every time. I was like, what, what? Dita says that's incorrect. That can't happen. I was like, yes. I believe it. Yes, uh, the police would ask me, "Could this happen?" Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I know, I know the smell of blood shooting quickly out of something. Here's how. <laughs> so we, we, I actually went on a little bit of digging about Dita. I think it's Dita Dereborg is how yes. you pronounce. So uh, Dita was born um, intersex, um, serves in the Navy in a women's uniform, which is super. What I love how it's just presented like without comment in the documentary which is exactly how it should be presented in any form of media. The fact that I'm commenting on it now is something that I should not be doing, except this is a podcast. And anybody who hasn't watched it, 
Uh, it's like, it, I'm just giving you the visual. Um, and the best, the very best scene in the whole thing is when she talks about trying to get into the submarine through the hole. And, like, <laughs> and then they, and they show the film of her sort of shimmying down, like, <laughs> like a corkscrew trying to get back into the wine bottle after she says, out. I am very, I am quite round. <laughs> yes, Dita, you are, you are like quite relatable, round. relatable content. But um, Same. <laughs> uh, she's a l- lieutenant commander, so she has had uh, quite the career. And I could just, you know, have half an hour with Dieter once a week to just brace <laughs> me up for the coming for the coming story. It, it, she's more than just uh, a wonderful you know, character. She really leads us through the practical details of a submarine. She doesn't go into you know, so many details that we get lost, but she very succinctly talks about each point of his story and how that couldn't possibly happen. She's mm-hmm. the first one that says she sees the sinking of the sub and she says that that can't happen. That's not yeah. how, it, how it happens. That's just diving and you could have stopped <laughs> that from happening. So she she's also very instrumental in pointing the police in the right direction and uh, getting Peter Madsen arrested uh, as he steps off the the boat, which yeah. I I hadn't caught that part when I originally uh, heard about the crime, but I was really surprised that they save him out of the water. He basically walks off the dock, and five minutes later, he's arrested. So this was very quick, given how slow, as we know from the investigation, the rest of the yeah. investigation was. And I think we're very lucky that they did that because he had a lot of means that if they had let him walk away, we might not have seen him again either. Yeah. You know, and and a thing, a thing I didn't know was that he had blood on him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which you can see on the Mm -hmm. film, which is unbelievable. Like, you know, he's lying and you know, he's lying. And then there's a close up and there has this blood on him. It's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Sarah, what do you think? Should we get into it? Because. I mean, Peter Madsen, right? Peter like, Madsen. All right, let's go into punishment, which is the yeah. half, the, uh, for the first time. We've heard his voice uh, sort of in film, but we actually hear his voice in recordings uh, with Erin um, Lee Carr. And, wow, what a what a person. Let's, let's get right. into him. Go, Murray. Drag I mean, him. <laughs> right, drag him. <laughs> I mean, just the like unmitigated gall, because I guess it was like maybe a half halfway through the first episode when, you know, whenever you watch these properties, you're trying to think like, well, why did they think they were going to get away with this? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's you're always like, oh, that doesn't make sense. It, But it was it was halfway through the first one. I was like, oh, he, you know, he just knows he's going to get away with it. You know what I'm saying? It's not it wasn't a like a. Uh, he it was it's so weird it's, it was planned but it was also very dumb like, at the same time but it was like the privilege of the, of it all he thought his privilege was going to carry him away from this this mess that he's he's made and i i'm not so sure if i kind of believe the whole in the second half where he's like oh he he t- turns into the monster like there's a lot going on here and peter madsen is very, I, I see why people were interested in the case. I truly do. And I, I think I can see why people were um, drawn to him. But I also just see that it's just literally the unmitigated gall of the privilege of money, of the privilege of his personhood, that he was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take somebody's life. And 
like uh like his uh, biographer said yeah and i and i'll figure it out later I'll, I'll get away with it like that's what truly pissed me off by the 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 time we got to the second episode i'm like you so you did this because you could you killed this woman because you could and that is so frustrating yep <laughs> well it's well it's funny because they compare him to they say he's like the elon musk of denmark right right and now there's all this stuff by the way about elon musk coming about coming out about whether or not he you know committed is an, an allegation that he committed a sexual assault on a plane and that there was a payoff and you know and it's like because he's like it never happened it's a lie it's like exactly what someone would say if there had been a payoff <laughs> after an allegation of sexual assault um but also you know of course now i'm also watching the january 6th hearings and hearing all this tape of somebody who lie most people who lie and, and in the face of bald evidence it's like no sir i have the thing that can show you that 10,000 people, dead people didn't vote in Georgia. And the mm-hmm. liar saying, well, I'll send you better information that shows you 10,000 dead people did vote in Georgia. That is the personality of somebody with privilege who is used to getting their way, right? Mm-hmm. Who believes that if they just assert it enough, they can, that will happen. So there's privilege. There's also illness that comes mm-hmm. from a childhood full of abuse, which we hear happened. Obviously not an excuse, but a reason. Yeah. And then also another thing that I learned from some of uh, this is this documentary is so good. You know, something's good when it makes you want to learn more. Uh, <laughs> another thing I learned after watching this is I sort of dug into the whole like torture porn angle of this. And there's a really interesting New Yorker article about the verdict. A lot of this material, this porn that he was watching, this child porn, this torture porn was legal in Denmark until like the 80s. So there's like this culture that he was um, able to access during these formative years where he was being horribly abused and his brain was forming where this became normal to him, like in part of his brain, like this is this is the way people can be you know it's sort of like yeah it's like we're like worry about like our kids watching Pornhub or whatever because we're like sex doesn't look like this in real life guys but like in his in his real life in his formative years as he's being abused he's like is this a reality that I could live and so yeah it's it's bad it's really bad but the lying and then the demonstrated again by the lying again and again and again like he just thinks if he changes the story and there's no evidence he'll be fine it's bananas yeah yeah, there's a, a it's it's so well placed. Like the 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 timing of where she puts this information is mm-hmm. is wonderful. Uh, she has a very, I mean, we do hear her a couple of times, especially when she's uh, prompting the uh, commander Lars Pedersen of the Navy as to well, you say you were looking for stuff, but you know you were looking for a woman, and he just very calmly says, "If I remembered all the faces, I." you know, I'd never sleep again. And I really appreciated her leaving that exchange in. So we see her not trying to lead him, but prompting him and, and him giving the answer. But as I say, we, we don't see, she's, she appears to be hands off while of course being a brilliant craftswoman and artist. And so the placement here of the information about uh, Peter Madsen's childhood is wonderful Wonderful. Is that the right word? Uh, but for me, watching it through the second time, the photographs of him as a child, this open-faced, big-eyed child looking into the camera, and we don't want to have any sympathy for him or empathy for him, but when you see an 
the, the open face of a child and you think, as Rebecca says, about the, all the things that come to bear and affect them and that they make the the adult. Like that's not a hot take. Everybody knows that. But I was really struck by a particular picture of this blonde little Danish boy with big eyes and you think if somebody had embraced him with love, well, who knows? Who knows? But, yes, I thought that was very well placed. I mean, we spoke uh, last week about the FLDS and Keep Sweet. Mm. Talking about, I wish know, I'd been there for that. Really? Really? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, again, it's that idea of the, the impact in childhood, you know, going through into adulthood. Not a new idea, but it seems to be an idea that we have to continually bring up uh, so that we can continually improve the way, you know, children are, uh, are treated. Mm-hmm. So uh, the other person that I wanted to bring up is the courtroom sketch artist. Now, for me, the only misstep. <laughs> um, and, well, two missteps, that and the tick, 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 as people write tweets it's like it doesn't sound Mm. like that but um when i went back to look at the cannibal cop just for my own interest i knew i'd seen it but i couldn't remember uh anything about it she she has a courtroom sketch artist in that as well so i thought oh what is it about courtroom sketch artists (laughs) that uh erin lee carr is fascinated by is it their proximity what do you think rebecca I think it is very hard <laughs> to do B-roll in these kinds of documentaries when you ah, have so much material. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah. So I think especially during the pandemic, uh, mm. we see these documentarians being very creative, right? Some people, like Joe Berlinger and his silly thing about the Cecil Hotel, just use the same drone shot over and over and over oh, again. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> some people were incredibly creative and went to like a weird animation studio and were like, let's just animate this. Use whatever style you want. Go ahead. Um, and then there was that, we watched one cool documentary that used like paper doll style animation, which was cool. And I, I think that this is, you know, B-roll. I mean, it's literally like we need a visual. Um, Hey, we're in court. How about this? I mean, I I do think there's some of that. And it's so funny. You talk about the texting. We actually asked a director about that um, when I was doing an interview about I think it was what's the thing about the the Tinder swindler. I actually asked the director mm -hmm. of that because there's a ton of that in that, too. And I'm like. What do you think if you were swindling people, you'd turn off the tap clicks on, yeah. <laughs> on your thing? And, 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 you know, and they told me that basically, like, it's kind of there's some pressure to, like, have audio in your in your documentary, like, fully ah. in audio. So, like, that makes sense. you know, it's like you got to do something. I'm mean, just mm-hmm. watching thumbs tap over a keyboard. So it, would be like, it would just be like, you know, otherwise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I, I, a friend of mine does uh, sound design and for feature films and um, has done ads and various things. And this is one of the fights of, of his life is uh, uh, directors who want the sound of a computer. And he says to them, Does, doesn't make a sound. Yeah. Make a sound. <laughs> but they want a sound. And actually I did think about that, why I was so irritated. So to me it sounded like the old uh, airport board's uh, departure boards as they oh. turn over, and I thought, yes, that's, yeah, I thought, that's, that's. I mean, my phone doesn't sound like anything. Maybe people, it's very annoying on buses when people have the block, 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 block when they're doing things. But I wondered if it was to, or perhaps this desire to have the sound because it's it's a it's an audio visual media. media. Um, but it was to bring our eye to the words because mm. in the second half we get 
Kim Vile's friend, Julie Thompson, who's a young woman, also a freelance journalist. And we heard a lot from her about Kim in the first half. And then in the Mm -hmm. second half, we see her live tweeting for Sky News. Um, And I found that very interesting. But with the sound yeah. in a courtroom, which no one would do. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a judge. You know what? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say really quickly, I do like uh, how they did the social media posts, like um, with Kim Ball, with her, like, oh, um, just another day in Florida's carnival circus. And they had the picture kind of like faded in the background and then the caption in front. I thought that was kind of pretty cool um that visual that visual media yeah she had one where she had returned from the from the um from North Korea uh, from Korea yeah uh, re-educated yeah (laughs) she's just funny funny. really funny and then the thing about her being funny this is what I was going to say that was so haunting speaking of texting was that she when she left on the sub she was doing Mm. that thing that we do when we're like still alive I'm still here like she was communicating with her boyfriend sort of mm-hmm. jokingly like staying in touch. You know how like you sometimes do where you're like, yeah, maybe uneasy, but not really uneasy. But like, hey, just FYI, still cool. Like, it's so awful to see those mm-hmm. texts when you know that just like in a very short while she won't still be alive. And there's and it just it really that felt like a gut punch to me seeing those, you know, mm-hmm. yes. And, and the, the apparent last one, I love you for exclamation marks. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yes, she has, uh, she has everything. I mean, Frank Wilson, we hear from. He's a he's a quite senior journalist. I found him very interesting in the first half, and he talks about how I like to confess. This is is uh, quite extraordinary and, and sort of wonderful, and speaks to his sort of journalistic rigor, where he says, "Oh, on the news desk, we said, oh, he's he's probably murdered her." He said, "It sounds so awful now," and that was just mm-hmm. when she was, uh, you know, missing. They couldn't find the sub. And nothing was known, um, and I think, yeah, that 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 dread that we have for each other as women. I mean, I left a party the other night, eight thirty, with a friend. She walked off into the dark. I went to get my bus, and I literally texted her from the bus. Oh, let me know when you get home. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the fake phone call. You ever do that? Where you just like yeah. pretend to be on the phone the whole time you're walking Long somewhere? You're just like, uh huh. Yep. So I guess I'll see you later then. Well, I'll stay. Yeah, that's I mean, the fact that we have to be so vigilant all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because I and we were talking about this on my show, just sort of explaining that to Kevin and and Toby, like Laura and I just being like, no, no, no. This isn't just because we're on a submarine like this is our Mm -hmm. routine in the world Mm -hmm. always. And, um, you know, just to see it sort of play out so normally. And then to know that that happens even when you're doing those vigilant things is it's just it's so it's so sickening. I mean, this was part of her story that she went to, you know, what you would think of just on a normal day to day as fairly dangerous places and Mm -hmm. came back. So there was, again, this tolling almost bell theme of for this to happen to her in Denmark, for this to happen to her in Scandinavia, for this to happen to her at home. uh, Right. You know. And I do want to say that probably might be my only down uh, fall for this um, 
for the the property because I thought it was like of too much of that ring of that like oh my gosh she's been to so many other dangerous places with <laughs> dangerous people nobody could have expected that yeah it a little a lot of that especially a lot of dangerous yeah. brown people right like, yeah exactly she went to <laughs> India <laughs> right that, 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 all those savages down there yeah, <laughs> there was a little bit of a little bit of that too much which, yeah a lot of that. yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, Yes, I think right towards the end, one of her fellow, fellow journalists does talk about, you know, we're journalists, we get into strangers' cars, we go and meet people in cafes, we do this. So I think that, you know, and it's all uh, that, that side of it. And also, why shouldn't we go? As women, exactly. why shouldn't we go where we mm-hmm. want to? Um, and there's a rather poignant, um, I think it's from a text exchange with one of her friends saying, you know, I've been thinking about the agency of women and yes. whether we'll always achieve it. And I think no, and a little frowny face, which, oh, it's too much. I, I would like to talk about Peter Madsen's biographer, Thomas Jersling. He had written a book, presumably a very positive book uh, called Rocket Madsen about Peter Madsen making a rocket and there were we see the book and it's a sort of a coffee table book. There's an, a certainly text. He calls himself uh, his biographer and he at first cannot believe, and we see him being interviewed contemporaneously, he knows that that Peter couldn't possibly have done this. So he is, uh, he's in a situation where he's written this book and now does he write book two? He has a confusion. Rebecca, I wanted to ask you, have you in any of your books had to rethink, go back, go for a second edition, put an appendix? Um, I've never done that, but I've certainly had to rethink. I actually have, and it's, it's funny, this is actually very recent. I've actually become friendly with the subject of one of our books recently. Um, the, our little secret, it's about a, it's about two teenagers, uh, one of who murdered, um, the stepfather of another one when they were teenagers. And he, 20 years later was caught for it and went to prison because she testified against him. We weren't able to interview her for the book. So we only had uh, the prosecutor's version of events and the news version of events because her lawyer told her not to talk to us. So it was very like I had lots of interviews with him because we interviewed him in prison. I did interview him in prison, but nothing from her. And so it was very like you know, he was being a chivalrous teenager. He was trying to thought he was trying to protect her. And then when she was an adult, you know, she told a story that maybe wasn't true. It wasn't super unsympathetic, but it was definitely like we only had what we had. I have since become pretty friendly with her. Like she now is back in New Hampshire. She only served a couple of years in prison. Uh, we got in touch on social media. She finally read our book. And, you know, I've gotten to know her a little bit. And she's told me some things that I've since looked into. And I'm like, you know what? I would, first of all, I would write the book very differently now anyway. I think my attitudes toward law enforcement have changed a lot and toward believing at face value, like what prosecutors tell you and what, you know, the story of trials are that that's changed a lot in the last 15 years since I've written that book. But I definitely think there's a a sexist angle to the book that was also in the trial. Um, and I didn't question that enough. And she's also given me some information that I believe that if I were to write the book today, I'd write it differently. And there's not much we can do about it now. It's not in print anymore. It's not like there's a publisher churning out thousands of copies of this book. Mm-hmm. But I think about it all the time. Um, and if we, if I'm ever given a chance to talk about it, like just now, um, that's something that I like to talk about. So yeah, 
uh, if, you know, if any readers out there happen to have read our little secret, feel free to tweet me and I'll tweet you back about what I would do differently. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. Breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, anything more on this before we start to wrap up final thoughts? Um, yeah, I would say like I I thought um, Aaron Lee Carr did an amazing job just really placing like the journey of the two part doc- docuseries because when I first sat down and watched this, I, you know, Sarah said, we're watching Undercurrent. I said, OK, cool. Let me sit down. I was like, oh, God, it's two parts. Like, we have been talking about for the past few weeks, we've been doing lots of docuseries. And I'm just like, some of this stuff does not need to be multiple episodes. Just throw it together in one documentary. However, I really did like the approach for this one. First one being the crime, first one being the punishment, but also just feeling that she would she would come to like, she would talk about Kim then she would go back to right before the crime. Then she would come back to the crime, then go back, uh, talk about Peter Madsen. And then like the way she weaved the narratives in the first part makes sense while it was two parts, because even, even though each part was like only an hour, right. It was like, it was only like an hour. So anybody would look at that and be like, Oh, just squish it together. It's two hours. And it's a, a documentary, but I see what she did. I see why it was a two parter. I see why she, she made the, the stories flow that way and separated, separated it. So I, I just wanted to point that out. I thought that was really good. The second part, like I said, I learned a lot more about the case that I just did not know about. I, I didn't know about the him the, with the snuff porn and just how bad he really was at trying to, commit this crime get away with this crime whatever it is he he tells them i love when the the lieutenant guy from the danish navy was like look him in the eye for me like when they first arrested him they said look him in the eye and ask him how many people were on that sub and he straight up says oh it's just me he said the lieutenant was like ask him again you know and and then he said oh it's just me and i'm just like how we there there are there are photos. We see you. We we see you leaving with her. That y'all are waving. Like, how did you do this? And then the the saw, like they said, they saw him walking the uh, saw orange saw that was recovered from the water. Um, they saw they have pictures of him with the, with a journalist, like putting it on the boat beforehand, like the sub beforehand. Like, it's just you. You just thought you were gonna talk your way out of it. Like, I'm still yeah. baffled at that. I think <laughs> that, that whole part of of the crime. Well, this is somebody who escaped from prison and then was just hanging out on the lawn across the street. Like, he's still going to be able to walk away, right? Yes, yeah. that part I, was I agree crazy. with you. I think it was the perfect length. Wow. I think way too many documentaries are way too long. And I think that's mm-hmm. sometimes particularly like a Netflix problem. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm glad this was on HBO. because I think, I think HBO tends to like let things be as long as they need to be mm-hmm. and not too long. Um, and I, I think it was just really well put together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the the footage of him running away i was like oh my god Dude, just you like, can't run you're not a good runner right? they're like <laughs> peter come back i'm like and they're just calling peter peter it's so high security over there in denmark right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yes and yes. so uh, just a clarification so he sent to prison for life but over there they said something to the effect of like the average term for a life sentence is 13 years. So, uh, 16. 16. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. 
Yeah. Yeah. The Scandinavian like criminal justice system is actually it's actually, I think, very progressive and great. Mm -hmm. In this case, I might make an exception. (laughs) Well, in this case, they might make an exception. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it's, it's extraordinary that, that it, in the court are these sculptures of of you know uh, wall friezes of 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 souls in torture, and I thought you can't make that up. I love yeah, that was I weird. love the Scandinavians. I love my people. Uh, we, are, awesome. we are we are strange. You yeah. guys are bleak <laughs> in the best possible way. Oh, um, <laughs> so uh, uh, other other uh, properties, as we say, the investigation. You can see that on SBS on demand in Australia, and it's on Hulu in the US. Uh, Perfect five magnifying glasses for me. It is slow, Mari. Know how you feel about slow, but it's. Well, I like the, investigation, so. The, it, exactly. You're a forensic scientist. <laughs> yeah. um, Are you sure it's not on HBO in the US? That's where oh, I watched it originally. I'm sorry. Is it HBO? Yeah, I think it is. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. We'll check and we'll put it in the show notes. We'll put it in the show notes, everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was also a documentary by Australian filmmaker Emma Sullivan. Uh, which she made in 2020. She'd been filming a different story uh, about Madsen making his homemade rocket or his private rocket. So it was interviews with the volunteers working with him and so on. Uh, But after the murder, she turned it into a documentary about uh, the murder of Kim Val, including many interviews with Madsen. And the film premiered at Sundance and Netflix was going to stream it. However, two of the people shown in the film did not give their consent. And because of this, the cinematographer Cam Matheson withdrew his support and Netflix has halted its plans to release the documentary. Mm. A good, a good answer, you think. So sources giving permission, Rebecca, withdrawing permission, changing their minds. Is this, is this common? I mean, here it's uncommon because the original permission was for a completely different documentary and Emma Sullivan changed the change the rules along the yeah. way yeah. But, yeah. but how do you deal with sources and permission well it depends because sometimes you should be able to make a thing without a source's permission and that actually to me speaks to maybe some problems with the way the thing was structured to begin with because mm. you shouldn't need if it's an if it's something that happened in the news and in real life and um you, you shouldn't technically need someone's permission to tell a story, right? <laughs> if they are in it and gave an interview and they don't, they're mm-hmm. saying, I decline to have my interview used. Mm-hmm. At, at the time their interview was on the record, you can technically still use that interview even if they say later, I don't want my interview used anymore. If they did it on the record at the time and it's really journalism, you can still use it. However, if you had paid to use an interview, that's different. That's that's not really journalism. That's kind of a different mm. situation. So that to me speaks to a different production like structure that I don't really understand and perhaps not like a super well-built one. I don't want to say unethical because I don't know the story, but right. it sounds like not really well-built because you should be able to continue making your thing or writing your thing, unless it was a key source. Like if you're doing a story about you, Sarah, I'm doing a profile of you. Uh, and I, it, it only relies on an interview with you. And then suddenly you're like, I'm not going to make myself available. I can still do a story about you and say, suddenly she wasn't available, but it, it, the story just won't work. Uh, mm-hmm. My editor might kill it. But um, I could still technically do the story, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I wonder if they didn't like how, I, I, I just wonder if it's with the editing, because, 
you know, I don't know if I want to. Yeah, I don't know if I want to be on camera. I'm like, oh, this person is so great. They're awesome. That person kills somebody. And, then, and now you're going to put my, my interview like, this person's great. He's awesome. <laughs> like, after that, like, I don't know. I, I'm so curious now, but I, 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 I yeah. I'm I'm glad to hear what you had to say, Rebecca, because I thought there's more to the story, and I do. There is. You know, well, do you know about right? this? Um, the thing. So there's a Kanye West documentary that just came out on Netflix yes. a few months ago, which I loved, by the way. I interviewed the director mm-hmm. of that. Um, Kanye, the very last minute, was like, "I want to have editorial control over this thing," and the guy was like, "No, <laughs> <laughs> you knew I was making it all this time, and mm-hmm. I was there, and like." Uh, you know, uh, but it was a very public thing and they ended yeah. up working it out. And Kanye at the end, it then was like, uh, well, I don't want it to come out then. And the guy was like, it's coming out. No. <laughs> but I know at, I'm point. sure within Netflix, there were conversations. I'm sure there were uh, like, is Kanye West going to sue us? Because the dude does have like a tremendous amount of money. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is a risk just business wise for them. Do they want that kind of heat? Do they want that kind of exposure? They could have made the decision to kill airing the documentary, but the mm-hmm. documentary still existed and should have existed and would have ha- found a home somewhere else. Right. It yeah. just would have. And I asked the documentary maker yeah. about it and he was like, yeah, the thing was going to happen. It already aired at film festivals. <laughs> like Kanye didn't actually have control. He was in it and he like agreed to be in it. Like, it's right. not like at the time he was like, I have editorial control over the final. He would never said that. So it is a thing that happens, but um, the network's decision to pull it, there's probably more going on. Yes, That's especially as as now you say that it has already been at Sundance. So yes, we we mm. we don't know. We don't know, and until we know, uh, we'll say no more. No so more let's speculation. Go to, no more. <laughs> yes, because we what's hate wrong with speculation? That is responsible. No, we no, love, I'm we down for it. But <laughs> you can speculate and say it's your opinion. Yeah. Yes. Throw yes. around some allegedly, right? Yes, allegedly, my opinion <laughs> that he definitely did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did learn that once once they've been convicted in a court, you don't have to say allegedly anymore because yep. it's on the record that they did it. So. Mm-hmm. Let's get to our ratings. We rate uh, these properties uh, between one and five magnifying glasses, five, of course, being the best it can possibly be. Rebecca, what's your magnifying glass rating for undercurrent? I'm going solid four. Solid, solid four on this one. I really, really enjoyed it. And also it um, definitely was above my expectations. So, you know, that sounds like I'm grading on a scale, but (laughs) I do have a thing where when I think I know a lot about something and then when I watch a documentary about it and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I'm learning so much. It elevates it for me. And plus the visuals were really beautiful. I thought it was very atmospheric. There was an artistry to it that I really, really liked. So yeah, I'm giving this one. I I really liked it. Solid four for me. Great. What about you, Mary? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with a 4.5. Yes, magnifying glass. Because why? Why not? Let's give out some half half magnifying glasses today. <laughs> teetering on a five. I truly am teetering on a five. I think, Sarah, we might need to um, like let, go back and list all of our rankings so I can see in comparison. Because that's what my mind wants to go to in comparison to stuff that we've already already watched this is probably the best property we watch i don't know what i'm still holding on to this five for but i think this is i think i thought this was really good i thought it was really good on the rewatch i thought that it hit the right notes where it gave us a full picture of the victim's story 
It told us about the perpetrator without feeling like they were elevating him in any way, um, while also giving us a little backstory. So like, like Tara said, where we're not like, we're not sympathizing with him, but at least we're understanding a little bit of, of at least his background. So I thought it had the perfect balance of giving me more about the victim and who they were in life. And it truly did feel like the way that they ended it was like, they wanted to celebrate her life. They wanted to get the word out to hopefully that she can inspire more people. So um, I, I, I really love that. Again, I thought the, just the way it was made, everything about it. I, I like this. So I'll give it 4.5. Actually, you know what? I'll give it a five. Why not? Wow. I'll give it a five. Let's throw wow. it a five. High bar. High I just bar. talked myself into a five. So. You've been holding on to that five this whole time. Uh, we've, I, only oh, had, I have. we've only had one previous five. That was from What was me. the previous five? Uh, I gave five to the painter and the thief and Murray gave yep. it two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Love it. Um, I'm going to uh, hit the middle and give it a 4.5. I this is almost perfect for me. Um, I loved looking back also at Erin Lee Carr's uh, previous work, some of which I had seen, some of which I'm looking forward to watching again now with this uh, with this idea of it being a through line for her and. I would recommend that uh, listeners who are interested in this case, interested in the way stories are told, which is what this podcast is all about, I would recommend that you watch Undercurrent and then you watch The Investigation. And I think taken together, it's this this uh, perfect uh, moment and this perfect kind of contemplation of this. And you will feel very Scandinavian by the by the end of it, all the grey seas <laughs> and, and, and a soft interiors with the little pop of soft red in the corner. Now to recommendations, Rebecca, what do you have for us today? I have a book, which I would highly recommend listening to on audio because that's how I consumed Ooh. it. And I have not enjoyed a book this much in a very long time. And I'm just going to warn you, the description of this book is so stupid. Um, and I almost, the only reason I listened to it, you know how, I don't know if you guys listen to audiobooks at all. Uh, I book do. Confession, even though I'm a professional media reviewer and a huge part of what I review is podcasts for a living, 90% of what I listen to is audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks mm -hmm. all the time. I have all the badges on Audible. I spend <laughs> way too much money buying extra uh, points on Audible, even though my husband has like 100. And he's like, I got to just bought the book for you and put it in your library, you moron. <laughs> anyway, um, and the other knock against this book, despite the fact that it has a real stupid description, is that it's on Jenna Bush Hager's like read reading club list, which I didn't know mm. until afterwards. But don't let that dissuade you. <laughs> because it's also apparently on a bunch of booksellers lists. Anyway, um, this was recommended to me through Audible, like because you like this, you might like this book. And it's under mysteries and thrillers. Not sure why. Uh, but anyway, the description of this book, uh, the book is called Remarkably Bright Creatures. The author is Shelby Van Pelt. It just came out in May. And the, one of the descriptions of the book from one of the one of the people who left a comment, and this is the description that I saw where I was like, man, that looks stupid. And then I listened to it anyway, was a widow's journey through loneliness, personal tragedy, the mystery of her son's death and her unlikely connection with a giant octopus who might also be a detective. That sounds real stupid, right? OK, <laughs> this book is so freaking great it is 
so great. It takes place in a small town in the Pacific Northwest in the United States. And it really is about uh, a variety of characters. The only first person point of view in the book is a giant octopus who's in an aquarium, but he's not in it a lot. He just has sort of interstitial chapters. And the reason I love the audiobook is because it's a dual narrator book and he is narrated by a man and his little performances are very funny. Mm-hmm. But it is the loveliest, most wonderful, warmest book about relationships and people finding people. And yes, there actually is a mystery at the heart of it that sort of slowly and in a very Scandi way uh, kind of pulls together. And there actually is a Scandinavian character at the uh, center of the book. I love this book so much that every day when I would come home from my walk, I would tell Kevin, I'm like, I got to tell you what happened in the octopus book today. And he was like, all right, what happened? To me? So I loved it so much. I'm actually going to listen to it again which I have never done with an audiobook in my entire wow. adult life. And that is saying something. It's Remarkably Bright Creatures by Shelby, Shelby Van Pelt. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Like five out of five magnifying glasses. Wow. Yes. Well, that'll go in the show notes and onto our lists, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So I also have a book uh, to recommend today. It's called The Arsonist, A Mind on Fire by Australian author Chloe Hooper. Uh, It covers the devastation of fires in Victorian 2009 on what came to be known as Black Saturday and the investigation which led to the arsonist who deliberately set them, as as the term arsonist will tell you. Now, I was put onto this book by Toby Ball. I don't know if you're familiar with him, Rebecca. Who's that? Uh, (laughs) uh, He covered it in... Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Um, this is a fascinating show on the Partners in Crime Media on their Patreon. So there's a little side recommendation for that. Nice. At Crime Scene, we are eager to hear your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. You can follow Crime Scene on Twitter at Crime Scene RHAP. That's Crime S E E N R H A P, or email us at Crime Scene R H A P at gmail.com. Subscribe to the feed at robhasawebsite.com forward slash crime feed to get episodes a day early. And you can also leave us your wonderful five-star reviews. We've had a few since last time we spoke. Perfect. Exclamation mark. Five points. This is from Lolo from Jersey. Thank you, Lolo from Jersey. We think you're perfect too. Mari and Sarah are amazing. The podcast flows so well and they bring on amazing guests. She knew you were coming on, Rebecca. Yeah, they do. (laughs) Uh, What does Anonymous 7147 have to say? All right. They say, great listen. Um, I love true crime pods. This podcast is so unique. Feels like chatting with friends. Very relaxing and funny. The hosts are charming. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Thank you. Nice. (laughs) And Maria Maria uh, 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 R90 says, love, love, love. Five stars. Such an entertaining podcast. Love hearing the commentary about the shows after watching each one. Keep up the good work, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Maria Maria uh, 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 R90. We will. Um, So, Rebecca, what do you have going on? Where can the people find you? Well, I would strongly suggest that if you like this show, you might like my show, Crime Writer. (laughs) We do kind of similar stuff. I I have to say, though, I'm going to listen to your show because I like it a lot. And like being on it was super fun. So uh, check us out at Crime Writers on. You can find it on all the podcast apps. You can follow us on Twitter at Crime Writers on. And you can follow me uh, on social media at Reb Lavoie. 
You get more swears with crime writers on than you Lots do of swearing. I, I held it back today for you guys. Oh, thank you. We appreciate it, but it's not necessary. That's all right. Sarah D. Bunting came on and swore the house down. So, Mari, <laughs> uh, where can the people find you and what have you got going on? Okay. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Mari Talks Too Much. That's two like the number two. This week, I was on with Rob, uh, Rob of Rob Has a Podcast. Uh, we did a very, very special episode um, covering the latest episode of Naked and Afraid XL. I <laughs> so good. It's so good. Rob is Rob was looking for a down uh, downtime podcast. I was like, okay, let's do Naked and Afraid, and we did it. We we reviewed the, the latest episode, and then I made him watch another episode from season two, episode two. Basically, both episodes are set in the Amazon. So, of course, Rob being on Survivor Amazon, I I asked him so many questions about uh, the Peru. Peruvian Amazon and we talked about these naked people surviving in the wilderness and it was a lot of great fun so just go to robhaswebsite.com and you'll see it there of course you can find me every week with the wonderful Matt Scott on the Wrestling Rehab Up podcast where we bring you the highlights of the week in wrestling WWE, AEW, whatever's going on in the wrestling world our last episode uh, was a doozy. We talked about a lot of the ridiculous news that happened last week um, in wrestling. It was a lot. Um, so if you want to uh, follow or subscribe to us, you can go to robhasawebsite.com slash wrestling feed to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Rehab Up on Twitter, um, where you can um, join the conversation with us. Um, so uh, that's it for me. Sarah, where, where can the people find you? Well, you can follow me at Sarah Carradine, and I certainly, oh, that's on Twitter. I certainly put everything that I'm doing on there and more. Uh, I was recently on the Brazilian Dragons podcast, uh, talking about the Australian film Spirits of the Air, Gremlins of the Clouds. As I say, mm. it's been living rent free in my head for 30 years. So mm -hmm. it was very good to bring that to a new audience and to, uh, the, the younger, the younger generation, <laughs> uh, and certainly, we, I had a lot of fun there with Naomi and Felipe, so you can listen to that. Murray, what are we covering next time? Uh, next time on Crime Scene, The Janes uh, with our special guest, Liana Boris uh, from Science. <laughs> you can watch it on Binge in Australia and HBO in the US and send us your comments and questions. Um, anything else, Rebecca? Yeah, I have one last thing because yeah. I was actually thinking I am going to like reach out to my husband and ask him to invite you guys. Um, you, since you got like TV so much, you might want to check out our other podcast. These are their stories. It's about law and order SVU and criminal intent, the entire law and order universe. We take an episode, pick it apart, laugh at it with a funny guest. <laughs> and I'm thinking both of you might get on our list of potential suspects to get on that show. So. <laughs> when I tell you that would be amazing. <laughs> Amazing! I I sent a pitch to Kevin some time ago. You've been added to the Rolodex. I will talk you up to my uh, husband slash producer slash host of that show. It is his, and I have you will come I'm highly excited. recommended. It's so good. It, I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast, but when it drops, whatever else I'm in the middle of listening, I just go straight. We to get that. that a lot. We get that yeah. a lot. Even though it's like of our smaller show, I'm like, why don't 10 million people listen to this? Kevin cracks me up. I think he's the best. Yes, it's it's uh, it's 
it's it's a laugh, but it also like it has some contemplation in it of you know policing and um and oh, yeah. the way we look at things and the way we talk about things. And I like hearing that side out of it as well. Listeners, you may want to seek out the episode where the guest had been a body. I had no idea. It was wonderful. The the tragedy, yes, please do. We'll put that in the show notes. The tragedy being that she had actually filmed scenes of the character alive. None of them made it into the. So thanks to Will from America for the theme music and to Scott St. Pierre behind the scenes. Until next time, case Case closed. closed. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.